Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Kobe Altman, the president of basketball operations with the Cleveland Cavaliers, the host of All-Star Weekend here in Cleveland, the Cavs, fourth place in the East as we tape this podcast, Kobe, 35 and 23. You're just two and a half games out of first. You've got two All-Stars playing this weekend, Jared Allen and Darius Garland. You you saw all this coming this summer, right? (laughs) All-Stars fighting for the one seed. Uh, It was clear as day, right? When you started training camp, this is how this season was going to play out. Well, first, uh, Woj, thanks for having me on. Uh, It's an honor and uh, something I don't take lightly. (laughs) I've been sort of fighting off uh, doing this for about three and a half years now. You've been trying to track me down to do this for about three and a half years now, and I think this is the opportune time to do it, obviously, when you're in Cleveland for All-Star Weekend. Um, Look, we're excited. I mean, we're excited as a a franchise to, one, be hosting this thing. But uh, when we started this path um, three years ago, the goal, we knew we were going to have All-Star. The goal was to draft, raise, and develop our very own All-Star within these walls. And so it's um, incredibly gratifying to, to, to do it um, here. Um, and now the fact that we have two All-Stars is, is remarkable. And I'm sure we'll go deep into you know, our process and, and how we've grown this thing um, and, and, and JB's leadership through it, throughout it all. Um, but we're, we're, we're really excited and glad you're here in, in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, to uh, help cover this incredible event. Yeah, no, it's, listen, this is a, um, we got a streak of some cold weather all-star games. We got a few of them here in a row, but, but that's all right. We, we don't have snow this morning. We have rain, that's, and that's not, so, that's, not, <laughs> that's not so bad. But it's great. You know, I remember when Toronto hosted, and maybe the coldest I've ever been in my life that Toronto All-Star game. But it was also the year that they kind of broke through. And it was, you know, Dwayne Casey and, and Masai and DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, you know, they were hosting and they broke through. And, and it's what's happened with you guys this year. And, and I just, what's been interesting to me, Kobe, about what your organization's done, the franchise, this has not been a straight line. I mean, you took over five years ago and you're coming off of, you know, a team that had won a championship. And in your first year, you're in a very different mode. You are trying to win a championship. You're trying to put pieces around LeBron James. While at the same time, and you think back to that, a lot of pressure to just gas that uh, Boston pick you had from the Kyrie Irving trade. Just gas it. Get someone in to help LeBron win this year. And at the trade deadline, you, you resisted that. You still got to the finals. But after that, right, it, it's been not exactly a straight line to what this group has done this year. And I, I just wonder, like, before this season, what did you think you had? I think you thought you'd be better. But why maybe did you not imagine what all went right that maybe you didn't imagine were a top five defensive team, were knocking on the door first place at the All-Star game. What all happened that you would say, mm, I didn't expect it this fast? Well, I'll, I'll say... A few things about sort of the evolution of where we are now. Um, obviously, when I took over, it was a completely different mission. Um, we were, you know, that was year four, um, four straight finals. And when you have a player the caliber of LeBron James, uh, the best player in the sport, you wake up every day thinking you're going to go to the finals. And that's not reality. Um, it was an incredible run. Um, and uh, we brought a championship to Northeast Ohio. 
it was um, a remarkable time, but that wasn't reality. I think the last three years of rebuilding and rolling up your sleeves, um, sharpening your pencil, getting deals done, replenishing assets, draft picks, that's more of a reality of an of a, of a NBA general manager. Um, and to be quite honest with you, after that four-year run, we, we didn't have a foundation of really anything. We had immense talent during that four-year run, but when LeBron left, we, we fell flat on our face um, as a franchise. We, were not, we, didn't, we weren't rooted in really anything in terms of a culture, a uh, foundation, um, and I'll give our, our chairman, Dan Gilbert, a lot of credit because uh, he let us rip the Band-Aid really, really quickly. Uh, we wanted to continue to be successful. We wanted to keep competing, we just had no basis of, of how to do that uh, when he left. And so immediately we knew we had to, um, to implement something that we were going to be rooted in, and that was player development and, and, and building through the draft. And, you know, Dan gave us a lot of patience, uh, just like he gave us resources to um, be really, really good in terms of salary and tax he gave us a ton of resources to invest in this new process that we were going to be about. We had to overhaul everything in terms of being all about our young draft picks and investing in them and their development. We had to have a culture shift of what it meant to be successful every day. It's not wins losses. It's going to be every day incremental um, positive steps that we're going to see out of Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, um, give them pathways to be successful, holistically look at the player development program that we have here and what are their habits, what are their nutrition schedules, what are their strength and conditioning programs, what are their sleeping programs, what are their mental health programs, highly individualized plans for these guys to start having really positive steps in their career a lot earlier. And that's the foundation that we started to put in um, about three years ago. Uh, and that's what, this, that's what this program is about now. And you can see along the way guys making real steps towards success, even though it didn't reflect itself during the win loss, uh, in the win-loss column. And so to your question is, did I see it coming? Well, we saw some real growth over these last three years with these guys. Um, and then you mix in some luck. Obviously, you jump in the draft and you get an Evan Mobley. Uh, timely trades that have helped us. Jared Allen um, changes the total trajectory of, of this rebuild. But I, I'd like to think that from Dan's support, he gave us the, the patience to overhaul in a complete identity and culture shift here in Cleveland to have guys come here and, and be their best selves. That's what we talk about. Come to Cleveland and be your best self. And I think that's now starting to really translate from not only the players, but the staff, Veterans that come in, the narrative is different. You can come here and be really successful. I want to go back just for one moment to that 2018 season, LeBron's last year here. And you're a young general manager. You're still a young general manager. You're still not even 40 yet, right? You've been on a job 39. five years. 39, right? <laughs> but, right? yeah, no, you're, I was super young then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the thought process of making the decision of we have LeBron James and we really, really want to win another championship. But your thought about maybe how different you might have acted or you might have made deals if you thought he was staying. 
because I'm not sure you thought he was staying. The difficulty of navigating deal making in that season, I think after that, and when you go into a rebuild, you know exactly what your mission is, right? And it's a little, maybe it's a little clearer. Maybe the murkiness and the, I imagine you probably talk yourself in and out of a lot of go for it and eh, maybe not go for it. That's too much to give right now. What if he walks? What was that year like in making decisions on deals? So when I took over, uh, I don't know if you remember this. You actually broke that I got the job finally on the same day that Kyrie's news broke that he was requesting a trade. And so I remember getting texts from family and friends of how excited they were for me. Congratulations, but what are you going to do now? And so that season to me was five seasons um, in terms of growth and what was thrown at you because that was the first challenge was, you know, what are we going to do with our all-star point guard um, that, that doesn't want to be here anymore? And, and, and so how are you going to navigate that? That started the year out funky, right? So you, you had to navigate that. And then, you know, towards the middle of the season, you have a really good grasp of what you have in place. Do you have a chance to get back? You know, is this team good enough to get back? And I, I want to say we were 31 and 22 at, at the trade deadline, but there was a fog out there. It was not a happy place to be every day. It just, it just felt like we were slugging through the mud and we had to do something. And I think people think I chose a direction of, you know, don't trade that Brooklyn pick over the, you know, keep your future but also make these deals to try to get yourself back. I think the deals certainly helped us get back. You remember right after those, 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 those trades, we took off. We won four straight games in a row. Brown was happy. Um, like it was, it was a, a lot of fun after we made those deals. The difference is with that pick, I, I didn't have a chance to get a game changer in here. There wasn't someone that I think appreciably put us over the top. And so I think people think that, you know, I'm preserving our future by not, you know, making the deal to make us better, uh, to put us over the top. That just didn't present itself at that time. Um, but we were able to get back to the finals. It was an incredible four-year four run. We're super appreciative to all, you know, not just LeBron, but the incredible veterans we had that, come, that came through these walls that helped us, um, you know, win a championship and, and have such great times. Um, but no, I mean, that was, that was certainly uh, being thrown into the fire my first year. And ton of experience and, and a lot of support from, from Dan um, and the Gilbert family. Um, they saw a lot in me um, from a leadership perspective to take on that challenge. And there's no, there's no manual, you know, how to for dummies, how to, how to navigate that kind of season. But I do think that, you know, we all got better as a franchise during that year. Um, and it did, it did set us up for what you're saying is happening now, uh, which is, sustainable success. Uh, that, that, that season set us up towards the future for sure. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. 
Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you're a young GM, the only comparable, one of the comparables I could think of, Masai Jerry took over in Denver and immediately had to deal with the Carmelo Anthony trade. And he had come back to the organization. You were within Cleveland. You moved up. But you've got to deal with Kyrie Irving. And it is, those are hard to do. And, right, you're canvassing the league, you're sifting through, you're trying to figure out, you know, there's a lot of interest in the player, but packages, everyone's going to try to lowball you um, early, see how desperate you are, all those things. When you're young, you're just starting out, you're not getting to ease into it. What do you remember about sort of sitting down and saying, (laughs) okay, like, what do I do? Like, like, <laughs> am I ready to do this? You, you yeah. were you know, like, yeah. am I ready to do this? Can I do this? We all have self-doubt and you get thrown into it and the microscope on you is enormous because LeBron James is on the team. It, it was enormous. I think, um, and, and, and Masai is a great, um, great, I, I would compare myself to him. He's incredible <laughs> the president. Um, but sort of that, that that scenario, I think Rob Hennigan had it in Orlando with Dwight, Dwight Howard. Um, that's right, which, he is, did. which is another yep. one. Um, I kind of I leaned on him a little bit on just like, hey, how do you get through some of this stuff? Uh, but each situation is completely different, um, and and th- and that one was was remarkably hard. The difference with Kyrie is, you know, I I, I was here Kyrie's second years when I came on. This is year ten for me in Cleveland, and so there was a lot of love for Kyrie. No, I don't want to move him. Um, I've seen him have. His best games, his evolution as a player, um, captivating all-star that won an all-star MVP, um, you know, when I was down there in New Orleans watching him and walking through the tunnels with him and his dad and being so happy that we had uh, a player like that in Cleveland. And so, first of all, not wanting to do anything with Kyrie was, was part of it, but also having the reality of, okay, you know, he's two years out from being able to walk players um, have leverage in this game. This is not something where you can say you have to do something. Uh, you have to have an immense amount of respect for players, their talent, their families, and what they think are the best situations for themselves. You're, you're fooling yourself if you think you're going to talk a player into wanting to be somewhere they don't want to be. You can try to navigate it for a little while, but ultimately um, what's in their best wishes and their family's best wishes uh, you have to try to align with and so that was part of it and what's interesting too is two years left on his deal and we saw that with anthony davis in new orleans two years left on the deal one year player has tremendous leverage because if the team he wants to go to has cap space hey i'm walking i'm just walking there so you better do something and then that team but two years left you have a little more leverage right and you feel like you can get a little more from somebody and then three and four years, like I think it's almost now the players who want out or who think about going out who have three years or four years left, it's almost like guys think they're entering the transfer portal, right? 
I want out. And then you have no leverage because I can trade you now to a place you might consider an outpost because they know they've got you for three years or four years and you, you're going to have to play. And so is my, is our situation really worse than that place, that place, and that place? Might as well wait another year or two and then maybe have a chance to go. But I think the years on the contract, and I really thought that played out with AD and AD got to the place he wanted to go to the Lakers. Kyrie was a little more open about, there wasn't necessarily one place I think he had preferences, but he had a list. It wasn't just send me there. And Boston rolled the dice a little bit because of the years on his contract. They had a good team. They thought they could sell him on staying, right? I think so. There's, there's, a, few, there's a few things there. Um, but ultimately, I think those experiences, which are part of the NBA today, right? And you can't take this personal. It's not, it's not this, is a, this is part of the business. But those experiences are what went into our plan is – Let's build through the draft. Let's draft incredibly, um, you know, gifted, intelligent young men that have great attitudes, great work ethic, and really importantly, want to be in Cleveland, right? And then it's on us to show them real success here, which you can. We have incredible resources. We got great facilities. You'll see the Cleveland's going to be on stage, Cleveland to the world uh, this week, and you're going to see what a remarkable city that we have. And when they get to the ground and they touch down here and they say, wow, this place, I know I can be my best self. I can be my I can be a great professional athlete here and all the resources that we have behind it. That's part of our our learnings through that that time. And it's always recruiting, even when you draft a player, you know, oh, we have we have their rights for for you. We have to worry about them for. No, it's the second they touch down. They feel like this place is the place that they're going to get really good, become an all-star, right, and get and get some really good uh, compensation for that, right? So max contract, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, this year, I mean, we, we're on any national TV games. Right? We finally get flexed to a game, ESPN game, maybe through your help, uh, in the second half of the season. Zero national games. Next year, the pressure the pressure is going to come, the expectation is going to come, and I'm sure we're going to have more national TV games, and we're going to put our athletes in a great light, and that's the the vision that you know we we sold Dan on is give us the time to draft, uh, raise and grow some some unique athletes here in Cleveland, and then we'll have a really long runway with them if we get it right. If we get it right, and that's working with their families, working with their representation, making sure they have incredible plans to be successful here, pathways to success, and now we're really starting to reap the rewards of that, and we know that they're going to be here for, for quite some time. I'm not sure. I didn't add it up. Maybe you guys know. I was just thinking about it when I was riding over here today. There probably is a window of time. You may have made more trades than anybody in the league, or at the very yeah. top. Because you were always you were gathering up assets, you were gathering up small deals. Jordan Clarkson, you know, hey, they, he's got great value for Utah, and he's had a great run there, a six man of the year, and and you're going to get assets for him, and you did, and you started to be able to be, and you you're always anytime someone's doing a three or four team deal in the league, like you were involved, <laughs> and I mean, listen, you 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 probably declared the winners of the Harden trade by now bringing in Jared Allen last year but then you bring in Karis Levert back from Indiana on the back end of this you you won that four-team trade like even taking it a year down the road but piece by piece by piece right and gathering 
like you said, you didn't have assets. And when you when you're trying to win a championship with LeBron James, you know, you're trading for Timothy Mozgov and you're giving up multiple picks for, you know, a player who like he could help us win this year and and we'll deal with the consequences later. And it was absolutely the right thing to do. You had an owner who was willing to pay luxury tax in a smaller market and you just you ran it up to win and you did win. And so you went into this mode where you're getting a lot of cracks at the plate. You're getting lots of picks and then you have a chance to move up. And it felt like you were in the middle of almost every deal or every conversation that was going on in the league for probably really up until the start of this season where all of a sudden, like, you go, okay, now we have a, like, you don't have to keep moving pieces out. You've, you've got a core now, right? But it felt like nothing was going on without the Cavs being in the middle of it to see what they could get out of a bigger, broader deal. That's that's the the task at hand, um, and it's funny. I, I talked to uh, uh, Andy Ellisberg, the great Andy Ellisberg from the Heat, and he has a great saying. And it's probably why the Heat never want to. They they're never totally all the way bad, right? They're never building totally through the draft, even though they do a remarkable job through the draft. But he always says, when you go into the wilderness, it's a scary place. You might never come out. We were going into the wilderness. And the only way to get out was one, we're gonna have to be, we have to nail our draft picks, right? But also we're going to have to be very creative in how we're gonna reattain a ton of assets. And it's not just first round picks, it's first round picks, it's second round picks, it's draft rights held guys, it's whatever we can get our hands on, right? To have a trove of assets for different situations. Maybe we'll Go all in and, and, and put it on a superstar if that's what we think we're going to do. Maybe it's a couple second-round picks to sweeten the deal. Jared Allen, we used a, a first-round pick and threw a second-round pick in there as well to get the deal done. So things like that, we needed to um, you know, restock the shelves, if you will. And look, like we're, we're very transactional. I think there's a, a part of us that, you know, obviously from, from learning from Dan and, and sort of my history as well, um, you know, coming from the real estate business was, you know, always be available, always be available, always have your phone on you, be transactional. I think uh, be ready to be actionable is another piece too, is, you know, when that deal comes together, you know, for, for James Harden, you know, John Marks, um, who does a wonderful job for Brooklyn and, and has them has a chance for them to win a championship is why he was doing deals like that. He knew he can call me and we were going to be actionable that second. And I think that was part of part of it during the, during those years and there was a lot of turnover and we took a lot of lumps for for some of the stuff we were doing but let's keep hitting singles let's keep hitting singles let's keep get grabbing these picks and then we have a chance to cash in on a Jared Allen potentially be ready to do it and don't mess up the deal right the deal's on our table we're here we're ready and and when Sean called he knew we were ready to be actionable that second and that thing turned, I think it was like 24, 48 hours yes. uh, that that deal turned around and, and, and we were ready to go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You mentioned your stop in real estate. I want to get back to that, but I want to ask you this. What do you love in a trade partner, in in a team you're talking to with another GM? Like, what do you appreciate about the guys you like dealing with and you can make deals with and you can have good conversations? And what is the thing you really dislike where you say, if a guy's doing that, man, I just... That just complicates this. I I don't want to deal with a guy who's doing what. Sure. Um, I think the the best deals, and I think it, it's part of it now, right? It's the um, instant gratification, the you know social media, you know the talking heads on TV. Who wins the trade? Who lost the trade? Right? Immediately, right? And I think the difference that we see it from is there's totally different agendas at at hand and there's different missions at hand you mentioned the jordan clarkson deal we don't get better by trading jordan clarkson but jordan clarkson is up that year right and so we were saying you know what we drafted two guards we probably want them to get minutes we're going to get worse by doing this but we're going to get two really valuable second round picks out of it so in that regard us in utah we've probably done more deals with utah than anybody (laughs) um i think for i think the streak is up but it was like three or four years in a row um is the best deals are when both teams are 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 winning and and increasing the pie and what i mean by increasing the pie it's it's not a zero-sum game so like i'm not just raking them over the leaves because i know they need a backup six man and he's the best one on the market and i'm gonna hold them hostage for 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 something more and then they also realize that I need some real assets back. And so they give me two good picks. And so that pie increases because we're working together um, for both teams. They want to get better. They want to make a run. Here is one of the best six mans on the market. You got him. I just need to have this. And those kind of conversations are really healthy. And if you can't get there, you can't get there. But there's a lot of mutual respect when you're trying to work together uh, for, for both teams and what they're trying to accomplish. What brought you to J.B. Bickerstaff, who's been ideal, I mean, the, the group, the way this team has grown, the way they play for J.B., the way you work with him, it's been ideal. And there was a plan in place that J, J.B. would someday be the head coach in Cleveland. He would replace John Beeline. Now, the expectation was not that it would be halfway through <laughs> John's first season. Looking back, what do you think maybe both you and John misjudged about what his fit would be, not necessarily even in Cleveland, but maybe in the NBA? So Coach Beeline still remains a great friend of mine. Um, We just saw him up in Detroit. Um, They actually, they kicked our ass, but that's a different story. (laughs) Uh, They they, they beat us pretty good uh, up there, Um, and we hugged it out. And, uh, you know, he, he still, to this day, says, look, I apologize. I didn't know how much the losing was going to affect me. Um, and I think, and listen, when I talked about the sort of um, upheaval of what we wanted to do as a franchise, player development was 
at the center of what we wanted to be about. And so uh, with Coach Beeline, who's had remarkable success with, 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 with guys achieving incredible heights through his program, through his skill development, through his teachings, let's bring in one of the best skill player development people in the world. Let's bring him here. And let's also surround him with really good NBA staff and talent. JB, we're really fortunate to get because he had head coaching experience. And so let's implement this player development program. And let's also have a secession plan for when John's ready to, to, to step down. And, and that was JB. And, you know, we always thought it was going to be a couple years uh, that let John get his feet wet, um, put this program in place uh, and sort of let JB take over. And I, I just I think, you know, that first month he might have lost more games than he'd lost in, in five years. And that was hard for him. That did not align with what we were trying to do. And, and again, you know, we could talk about player development until you're blue in the face in terms of on-court workouts, getting extra shots up, um, using a lot of different metrics to show um, success that way. You got to get players minutes. And the young guys that we had were guards, and they're going to get bashed in the head Every night, it's hard to win when your best players are guards at 19, 20 years old. They have to go through that. Um, it's a very, very rare that that guard comes in um, that's winning games at that level. I think maybe Luca uh, has done it um, since day one, right? Really affecting winning at that, that such a young age. Um, and so we had young talent that we wanted to get minutes and, and trial by fire was part of it, and that was really hard for him. And so, yes, very fortunate to have JB there. JB, incredible communicator, had great relationships on the ground already when he took over. And I, I honestly think, you know, even though, you know, the win-loss record the first year that he was in place wasn't great, he, he was turning this thing into a, an incredible place to come work. Uh, it was never dark. And, and you can tell the guys were, were going to run through a wall for him. Of all the trades, and you make Karis LeVert here shortly before the trade deadline, that's a player you can re-sign. Going forward, the Jared Allen deal we talked about last year, it felt like the one that maybe on draft night was the most under the radar, kind of okay, the Ricky Rubio trade and what that meant for this organization, what it meant for Kevin Love, who nobody would have equated – Kevin loved playing with joy the last couple of years. There were some, listen, you guys went through tough times together. You saw it on the court, off the court. He wanted a trade. You tried to figure out if you could get one. His value wasn't there, and he, he's back here. And Ricky Rubio comes back, who he's got this relationship with from Minnesota. And, you know, when Colin Sexton goes down and now the ball's in Ricky's hands and, and Darius Garland now, can the ability it gave him to kind of blossom. But in your wildest imagination – did you think Ricky was going to impact this team? One here, he didn't play very long before he went down with a knee injury, but but it was so obvious what he brought to your group. And and when you guys made this leap, he was in the middle. He felt like he was in the middle of it all. No, I think um, it's really important you bring that up because it's it's uh, it's certainly understated. We are we are not here without Ricky Rubio. We are not the team that we are today sitting where you say we're sitting at, you know, fourth in the East without Ricky Rubio. And we all said that we wanted to take a step this year. Uh, we had great young talent in-house. Uh, we were really excited about our draft pick in Evan Mobley. We knew Jared Allen was going to be 
really successful in a Cavaliers jersey, especially after you know signing the, the five-year um, extension. We had a lot of really good stuff going, but did these guys know how to win, right, yet? Right? Were they going to accentuate winning yet at this level? Knowing we wanted to take a step forward, who's going to be that veteran that can really stir the drink for us? And I think you saw um, Olympics Ricky. Yep. It was incredible. The price kept going up every single time he played. He had 38 yeah. points against the, the, the USA. <laughs> but I was like, I'm like, you know, negotiating. I was like, listen, like, like Ricky, calm down. Um, and then when we made the trade for Ricky, me and JB had to sell him on what was going on yeah. here. He thought he was going into another reclamation project. He didn't know what, about Cleveland. Um, and me and JB slowly said, look, we, we really feel good about what we have in place. Come here. Have your best year. And he was off to having his best year. I also think that Darius is not who he is right now. All-star without Ricky. Obviously, Darius, immensely talented. Can do anything on the floor from an offensive standpoint. And his defense is rapidly improving. Galvanizing force. But what he learned from Ricky over those first 20, 25 games is just invaluable. And um, we're indebted to, to Ricky um, for what he, what he brought to us. Um, the winning basketball, the competitiveness, the fire. He was fun, and, and when he went down, it was, it was a gut punch. But uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Ricky was, was so important to us. Kobe, what, is there one thing that you would say that you understand so much more about team building and what goes into team building? And maybe what, when you initially took the job, you didn't think was as important, but when you come to work every day, you go, I would never underestimate that again. Is there anything about putting a team together when you look at the group you have, the success and, and, and the upside here that you maybe have a much better appreciation for? I think, and, and we talk about culture all the time, and I think it's probably an overused word of it, our it, culture, it is our culture, our culture. Co- yeah. it, yeah. It's something that we yeah. a, a great GM once <laughs> said to me, he said, um, this league has become too much. Our process is better than your process results don't matter and I said there's some truth to that yeah and and so I hate to use that cliche but I do know that you know ever since JB took over aside from the win-loss record this was never a dark place this was a fun place to come to work this was a place people knew they can come in and be successful uh, enjoy their day not not run off to go home uh, at night, stay long hours, uh, watch film, enjoy the coaching staff, enjoy having a meal in the back with our, our team chef, with our nutritionist. Um, get whatever you needed uh, to, to get better that day. And that's what we've put in place. I didn't realize um, how important that is. And, and, and so, like I said, for four years, we rolled out of bed, we thought we're making the finals, right? So you're not really working on those those soft touch items you're not working on that foundation of 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 player development and and what that looks like you're not investing in resources to make sure that all the stuff is incredible we'll, we'll, uh, i'll walk you through some of the the resources that we have downtown from our family room which is one of the best in the league it's it's, it's gorgeous it's a beautiful lounge it's the experience Families go in there and they feel like this is a this is a family environment. They feel like we care about their families. The locker room um, situation, which is incredible, it's obviously high end. It feels like a Manhattan apartment, uh, condo apartment. That's from my New York roots. So I wanted to look like a Manhattan high end apartment with with a with a, a chef's kitchen that has 
shakes ready for you um, when you walk in, individualized plans, all that kind of stuff, that soft touch stuff, that goes a long way. These are, these are little one percenters that add up over time and that add to your culture of, man, people really want to be here. And I think this year is the first year I've seen it flip towards guys being really excited when they're traded here. It was Rondo that was really excited to come in and, and take on that role. Um, from a basketball standpoint, and then when he got here, he said, wow. And then Karis LeVert, who we traded for, which was really unique because he was in the other visitor's locker room when we actually made the final trade. Indiana was in town. Right. And so I walked down to see him, and you can see his eyes were wide open, you know, ready to take it all in, thanking me for the opportunity. And he's from Ohio. He's from Ohio. Loved the idea of being back Loved the idea of being back, excited about what we're building. That's a change in narrative. That's a change in narrative of, of guys being really excited to be here. And so that's the difference. Obviously, you need talent. Obviously, you need great coaching. But those, those unique experiences that people have here, um, I think, are really carrying the day for us right now. Listen, you, you've got a lot of really good players now. But typically, you need a great one to win a championship. Do you think you may have drafted that guy this year in Evan Mobley? Evan's remarkable. Um, he's, he's really good. <laughs> um, and you know, you sort of run out of words to, to, to say about someone that young having that, um, impact. I think what's incredible about Evan was, and we talked about, you know, the age of guys and they come in and when they fr- finally start to affect winning, he makes winning plays every time he's on the floor. And, um, he's, he's a, you know, he's, he's a quiet assassin. I think, you know, our our um, our internal sort of, I'd say, branding team um, labeled him EV4, you know, electric vehicle, because he's, he's sort of the, the young up-and-coming future of, of the position-less basketball, um, you know, combustible, quiet. He's quiet, but he's a quiet revolution of what's next. Um, and so he's almost like, like, like this Tesla brand of, of new player, right? That really cares about the defensive end. And so he, you know, he, if he's not scoring, he's impacting winning. He's impacting shots contested. He's getting deflections. He's getting steals. He's getting blocks. That is part of who he is. And as he gets stronger, um, and bigger, uh, the offense is going to be even more and more scary, what I love about this team, though, is they do it together as a group, and that's how we're winning. Um, and we're letting Evan grow on his own, right? If if this was just Evan's team, this would be hard for him to put that amount of pressure on him to be uh, taking this team to new heights as a rookie. That's not fair. I think this thing was really pre-wired for him to be really successful right away because of the pieces that we had in place. Darius, Colin, Isaac. Jared Allen, who gives him a lot of protection behind him, lets him go roam and do his thing on the perimeter, switching out on guards. So I think in a lot of ways, this thing was pre-wired from being immensely successful, but we are not here without his impact either. I want to go back to one thing, Kobe, you mentioned earlier. You mentioned about your time in real estate. You graduated from Middlebury. You went to work in real estate for two or three years. How'd you end up there? (laughs) Um, It's a great question. Um, Middlebury College is, um, as you know, basketball one, yeah, I would say it's one of the best liberal arts schools in the country. So you get this incredible 
degree, um, you know, from a from a really elite um, education, and you think you got to make money right away, right, to justify that education. All of my Summers had been working Xavier basketball camp with you know with the great Joe McGrain and you know how good Catholic school uh, leagues were. It was Division Two. It wasn't quite you know your, your St. Anthony's um, a level, but you know working at the, the Xavier basketball camps, the Xavierian basketball camps, um, traveling around doing you know five star camps. That was my resume. Um, that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a coach, and I needed some business uh, acumen, and I needed something in there that 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 spoke to. Um, some kind of financial uh, pursuit because um, the $100 a week wasn't going to cut it <laughs> at some of these camps. Um, and Joel Radman, uh, you know, who, who runs Freeman Roth Realty Group in, in the city, gave me a chance to say, this is, take this for three months um, and, and, and learn the ropes to see what you want to do. And commercial real estate uh, back then was on fire. Um, and it was selling, you know, large apartment buildings. And usually, you know, 16 to 20 unit buildings that have retail on the bottom. And I was obviously from Brooklyn and I knew the real estate pretty well. And my first transaction was a, a, uh, a building on Union Street right before Prospect Park. Got a great deal. I said, I said Joel, you want to, the guy wants $2 million for this building. He said, well, I'm going to buy it. And so he bought it. And that was my first transaction, selling a 16 unit building in Park Slope in Brooklyn. And the commission came. And I said, well, I'll stick this out a little bit longer <laughs> in the summer, Joel. Can you keep me around? And um, I was pretty successful. And I, made, I made some really big transactions. It was a lot of fun. It's a, it, there's a lot of parallels between uh, the real estate market and, and, and making deals and, and, and what I do today in terms of negotiations and making people feel satisfied with the negotiations, too. Um, that was a big part of what I had to do. Both sides had to feel good about the transaction, and I think that's really helped me uh, in, in what I do today. What was the day in that job that you said, I'm going back to basketball. I want to go back and coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we worked in Manhattan on 20 West 20th Street uh, between 5th Avenue and 6th Avenue, right by the beautiful Flatiron Building, um, you know, in, in the city. And four blocks down the road was Xavier High School. And so about two, two and a half years in, you know, I'm, mi- I'm missing that basketball piece. There's a void in, in me that I grew up with my, my mom, who, who, who was a basketball junkie, right? So she went to UNC, um, and she fell in love with Dean Smith, and, and she's been a Knicks fan ever since. And so growing up, that's all I knew was basketball. And so I knew there was a void missing sitting in my cubicle, making calls every day, finding out if your building was for sale. Um, and so I would sneak down for an hour a day, and I asked Joe McGrain, I said, Coach, can I just help out? And so helping out went from half hour a day of rebounding for the freshman team to, to an hour a day of actually helping out the freshman team in the varsity to – two hours a day, then helping out the varsity as I snuck away and probably lied to Joel and said, I'm, I'm going to check out buildings. And I was actually sneaking down four blocks away to, 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 to go co- coach basketball. And that's when I knew I said, I got to be doing this. I, I have to do this for a living. Um, as much money as I'm making, we'll figure that out. Um, I'll, I'll make a living doing this. And that was that was really um, when I knew I needed to be back in basketball. And then I went off um, to get my master's at UMass Sports Management Program, um, where the great Sean Ford was my mentor. Um, and I actually coached that nearby Amherst College for the, the great Dave Hickson. 
um, who was up for, uh, for, for, for Hall of Fame this year, induction for as one of the best Division three coaches of all time. Um, and just immersed myself in a great environment of basketball teaching and just said, this is, this is what I need to do. And when you're at that point, do you think, I don't know, maybe I can get the head job at Bowdoin, Bates. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a pretty good life. <laughs> yeah. right? Absolutely. I mean, Dave Hickson, Coach Hickson, got it right. He was the head coach for, for Amherst for almost 40 years. You couldn't tell him that wasn't the best job in the world. It was the Duke of Division yeah. Three, And he never wanted to leave. And he had overtures from different Division One schools. Um, I think the parallel was when I went back to Columbia to coach as an assistant coach. And I said, this is, this is my wheelhouse. You know, it's academics. Um, it's recruiting to high-level institutions. Um, and, and, and I'm back in New York, and I'm, I'm, I'm selling this uh, pretty easily. I mean, it's one of the best universities in the world. And, and so, yeah, I did think, you know, dream job, you know, Stanford, right? right. That would be my dream job. Um, but then the Cavs came calling, and I uh, uh, was a pro personnel scout to start, and I've been here ever since. How did you... You grew up with your mom in Brooklyn. What, what was your childhood like with her growing up, having a mom who's a basketball, basketball junkie? So like I said, um, my mom went to um, UNC. Um, and at that point, wasn't a basketball fan at all. Um, she, she, she went to social work school to get her master's and fell in love with Dean Smith, uh, fell in love with basketball. And... Um, came to work in New York as a social worker um, at some at some pretty rough public public high schools. Um, and you know, th- the story goes, and this is how I know I was indoctrinated um, to being a basketball fan slash Patrick Ewing slash Knicks fan. Was the first ever uh, draft lottery was 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought it was rigged, by the way, but um, pretty exciting time for, for Knicks fans. But I guess I was sleeping. In, in my crib at the time, and as you know, that was the first ever draft lottery presented by the late, great um, David Stern, and I feel like I went, Indiana Pacers got two, and at that point, everybody knew the Knicks were going to get the first pick, which meant Patrick Ewing was coming to New York. Supposedly, she screamed so loud at the top of her lungs, she woke me up in my crib <laughs> because basketball was back in New York. That's right? right. Basketball was back in New York. And that's how I was born and raised. I was born and raised that way. It was to the point she was so good that me and my friends would have arguments and we'd say, you know, let's go ask your mom. And we'd run into the living room and my mom would set us straight and say, no, 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 you're wrong. This is, this is what happened. There's the history. Here's the stats of that. Um, so I grew up that way in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, was a credible way to be raised. Didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, we grew up three, four blocks from Barclays Center. At that point, it was it was. Rail yards, rail yards, right? Yeah, rail yards, and Dean Street Park is where we play from sun up to sundown, and and um, that's where I got my roots. And I didn't realize that I tell her all the time, like, do you realize you raised me in an incredible place to 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 go through a lot of stuff? Like it was a rough area to start, then it got gentrified, but like the diversity, the love of basketball, the youth in the area. Just growing up in that neighborhood, I, I was said, you know, you, this is going to be such a spectacular neighborhood. And she said, no, my, <laughs> her parents, my grandparents didn't even want to come visit me when I first uh, rented the, <laughs> the apartment. And now it's one of the most expensive places to live in the city uh, where we still have the apartment. So, um, you know, Brooklyn, being born and raised in Brooklyn is certainly who I am and, and where I'm from. And, and uh, she did a remarkable job raising me on, on her own through a lot of values. 
and her being a uh, social worker um, at a, a public city school in Brooklyn, I could do no wrong, right? I, I wasn't as bad as some of the kids she had to work with, so I was never in trouble at home. And she let me do what I did, and uh, you know, she was she, she was a, she a great influence in my life, and uh, wouldn't be here without her her knowledge uh, of the game. No, that's great. And listen, who knows? Maybe there is a maybe there is a Cavs Nets playoff series looming. <laughs> Somewhere. We'll see where you guys are. You're, you're fourth as we head into All-Star Weekend. Brooklyn will get their guys back and, and presumably move up into the race. There, there's a lot ahead. The East is it's remarkable. a lot of fun right now. I mean, it really it really is. And, and you guys are in the thick of it. All-Star Weekend. Uh, Kobe, this, this was a lot of fun. Glad we finally got to do it. I know a lot of big weekend ahead for you and obviously this stretch this final stretch of the season and the postseason. So, so thanks for jumping in here, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Enjoy the city this weekend. It's going to be a little cold, but we're going to do a spectacular job. And I really appreciate you coming to Cleveland to do this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Cleveland Cavaliers, President of Basketball Operations, Kobe Altman. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and of course the Adam Schefter podcast with my good friend Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.